Welcome to Damn Good Brands. And now, here's your host, Nick Taylor. What is going on, podcast listeners? Thank you for listening, first of all. This is a brand new podcast, so uh, if you're listening and you're not my mom, I really appreciate it. But I do appreciate you too, mom. I'm sure you're listening, so uh, thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, today we have a really, really, uh, really interesting guest, Chris Kalouris. Uh Chris does a very unique breed of PR that has his own signature on it. His approach to PR is extremely fun and well thought out and culturally relevant. And a lot of his work just effortlessly blends humor with very smart and strategic media strategies. And overall, he's clearly a guy who's very passionate about what he does. His case studies are pretty fascinating and in many cases really hilarious and involve a lot of colorful characters including celebrities such as Axl Rose and Megan Fox and overall I really enjoyed talking to him. One thing to note, we recorded this a while back and Chris hints at some work that he's doing on the Total Eclipse. This was back in August and he's not, he at the time was not at liberty to disclose that this was getting Bonnie Tyler to sing Total of Eclipse of the Heart on the Royal Caribbean cruise. Chris was behind that, so start there. Anyway, without further ado, Chris Kalouris. Chris Kalouris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nick. Uh, of course, of course. So just to kind of kick things off for people unfamiliar with you, how would you typically describe like what you do in your work history and all of that? Sure. I would probably describe myself as a disruptive marketer. So I like to do things that are non-traditional, things that I would be proud to tell my twin brother about, maybe not so proud to tell my mother about. <laughs> That's cool. I have a bunch of work histories or like a bunch of case studies that I right. really want to dive into. Right. But off the bat, is there any, any particular brands or campaigns that stick out as favorites for you? That I've done? Or that you've just... done. I, I love the work I did with Dr. Pepper and Guns N' Roses. I love the work I'm doing right now with Budweiser, um, Royal Caribbean. So mm -hmm. those are fun ones. Cool. Yeah. The, I mean, the Guns N' Roses one is historically significant. Do you want to get – can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, years ago, when everyone who's listening to this was probably a little child, uh, Guns N' Roses was the biggest band in the world. Long story short, Axl Rose went away fired all the original members and said, I'm working on a new album called Chinese Democracy. Now, that was like early to mid-1990s. Fast forward about 10 to 15 years later, uh, Dr. Pepper was my client. They wanted to do something that would get music fans talking about Dr. Pepper. And I basically said, well, why don't we try and make music history by getting Axl Rose to finally release Chinese Democracy? The idea I gave them was very simple. We promised everyone in America a free Dr. Pepper if Axl would come out with Chinese Democracy anytime in 2008. We excluded two people from the offer, which were which Slash and Buckethead, the, the two <laughs> guitarists that Axel had hated and kicked out of the band. And it was totally guerrilla. I had a budget of about $15,000. I get a call from Axel Rose's lawyer when we started getting news the day it went out. And, wow. and she's like, I'm going to take this idea to Axel and see what he says. Uh, a couple hours later on GunsNRoses.com, I saw a note that said Axel responds to Dr. Pepper. And, he's and like, side note, you're a huge Guns huge fan. I'm a huge fan. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, so this no, is, you must be freaking out. At this yeah, point. this is like a, a lifelong dream to have Axel, something that I created in the marketing world 
go in front of Axel Rose for his approval or disapproval. <laughs> and on GunsNRoses.com, it says Axel responds to Dr. Pepper and how he was very happy to hear about our support. He wasn't sure if the album would be ready, but if it came out, he would share his Dr. Pepper with Buckethead. We ended up succeeding. The album came out that year. The Dr. Pepper didn't quite fulfill its promise to give everyone a free Dr. Pepper, but that that was a strong lesson learned that if a brand promises something, mm -hmm. if it comes true, you have to deliver on your promise. So Right. Yeah. Right. But in the meantime, you you through your actions, Axel Rose released his album, which Yeah. Yeah. It was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, I mean, regardless of like whether or not everybody got Dr. Pepper, like through your actions and you got, I mean, this was work technically. Right. right? You got paid to do right. all of this. Right. You were able to affect music right. history. Yeah. So that must have been like super duper cool. And that was awesome. I mean, I've always tried to bring things I personally love to the workplace because yeah. our clients, my clients throughout my whole time in marketing, they're just always trying to do things that are relevant and consumers will be attracted to. And I think the easiest way to do that is just find things that people are passionate about right so dr pepper guns and roses guns and roses was my passion more than dr pepper but i united the two right yeah and that's something that i just that really struck me about you, a lot of the work that you do is it has a very kind of distinctive signature on it like all of your work is really unique but also kind of has a very personal signature on it right it seems to be like reflective of interests of yours but also pop culture interests mm -hmm. so i mean therefore it's relevant and it's able to kind of straddle like a multitude of different intersections like it's mm -hmm. relevant it's on brand it's of interest to you and it right. has like a real signature on it and i mean for a lot of people kind of working in you know technically corporate jobs i mean it sounds like that's the dream i would say that i kind of don't compromise my approach and i guess the thing is i feel like i love stuff that millions of people love like from star wars to, to guns and roses to video games to um cars like so the things that i'm into luckily for me there's millions of people out there that are also fans of these things so i tend to try and look at the world through the lens of the consumer and the target and but like the real consumer and the real target, not like the spreadsheets we get about millennial moms and millennial dads right. and all these things. Like, who are these people? What are they really into? And I just never want to compromise and look at the world more through the lens of the brand. Mm -hmm. I always start, I'm always 51% about what people care about, 49% about what a brand cares about. And by always sort of pushing in that direction, I think if you look at the ideas that I like to activate, the brand isn't the only thing in the headline that is like powerful. Like there's right. something else that we're connecting to that people truly care about. Mm -hmm. So how are you able to stay on top of all that? Cause I mean, a big focus <laughs> of ours at Lippy Taylor is relevance, like staying right. in touch with what's relevant. Right. But I mean, frequently by the time you read about something, it's just, it becomes so mainstream relevant that it's, it's almost obsolete. Right. So how do you, how are you able to kind of stay in touch with what is relevant? What's in the zeitgeist right. while, kind of staying on brand like right. is there a trick that you have to yeah. do in that i think what what i do and it, this isn't going to sound groundbreaking or magical or some <laughs> secret formula right right but just read the news a lot and, and i i'm surprised it's 2017 and i think if you walk around most pr agencies people have stopped reading the very places they're trying to get their clients hmm. and it's crazy like there's just everyone's just so busy and also our, i think our own behavior we go to the same few websites every day. Right. So for some people, it might be 
I'll spend a little bit of time on Yahoo, then go to my favorite fashion label, then go to this forum. And that's like, we just can't keep rinsing and repeating. For me and my team, what we tend to do is we read a lot of mainstream news, but we also are involved in a lot of different forums that have very specific topics. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be everything from one of my teammates is on 4chan and on other like video game forums so he knows everything that's going on in the world of video games okay Uh, i'm on car forums i'm i'm on pinball forums arcade forums i'm on all these different things um so we find stuff there that can be applied to client ideas but there's still just a ton of stuff that pops on mainstream news so for Mm -hmm. example it's what august what today eighth today Mm -hmm. in two weeks there's going to be a total solar eclipse right we've known about this for years and it's it's upon us it's 30 something years in the making Uh, we brought ideas like that to to our clients because we know that come august 21st there's going to be thousands of news stories uh about the total solar eclipse and Mm -hmm. so Part of what we do is daily monitoring of what's going on, what's relevant, what people are talking about, but then also just looking into the future and saying, right. what's going to be happening down the road that will really have people's attention? Right. So let's dive a little more into your work history. Sure. That's cool. So, I mean, Guns N' Roses, clearly the Dr. Pepper Guns N' Roses campaign, that was a huge highlight for you. Can you tell us about Megan Fox and uh, the Rose Boy? <laughs> Yellow Rose Boy? Yeah. So all these were born when we created a group called Disruptive Media at Ketchum Public Relations. Uh-huh. Uh, I grew up within the media team. And, and I really love the fact that most of my original or early years within PR was on the media team. Because when you pitch media all the time, you realize like what's a good story and what's not. Right. Uh, and so we had a client back then that was Kodak. And Kodak, this is before Kodak went away. I think Kodak's still, they're still around. But I think back, so, yeah. Back then they they were going through some financial troubles. But uh, we their whole thing was like Kodak moments. And that was always what the brand stood for, like making the great photograph happen for people. Mm-hmm. And we saw this story of this cherubic little angel, this this boy was trying to hand <laughs> Megan Fox a rose uh, as she was walking into the theater for, I believe it was Transformers 2 movie premiere, and she walks right by him. So this mo- this picture goes viral because everyone's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. right? I can't believe she didn't take his rose. We see the photo, and she was interviewed by media who brought it up when they were interviewing her about the movie and they said, uh-huh. hey, Megan, like, what, what, what's the deal? Like, why didn't you... She like, walked right past this. She kid. walked right past okay. him and, and someone snapped the this epic photo of right. her like an inch from the flower. Yeah, and, see, he's adorable. He's just holding out this little yellow yeah. rose and he's like all of 12 years old. Right. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> so she, she walks right by him and here's the thing that opened the door for our idea. During media interviews, she said, I feel horrible. If anyone knows who this boy is i will happily accept his rose Mm -hmm. okay so we saw that and we said oh my god like we've got to make his kodak moment happen we wrote a press release with megan fox's name in the headline of the press release without her permission and we said kodak is offering five thousand dollars to the first person who can positively identify megan fox's yellow rose boy Mm -hmm. and our lawyers were like well wait a minute like you can't put megan fox's name in a press release without her permission but we pointed at the media stories because she openly asked for help our our legal team was like well because she's on the record for saying if anyone can help i'll happily accept it so we had her like in a little bit of a gray area because imagine if she tried to sue or send 
Kodak a cease and desist for trying right. to help. So we put it out, totally scrappy. To submit the winner, you just had to email us at yellowroseboy at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Again, what I loved about this idea, a lot of people now, when they have a sort of scrappy idea, you have to go through lawyers and terms and conditions. And right. All we said was like, we'll just set up a Gmail account, yellowroseboy at gmail.com. First person who emails us with the, the, the accurate name mm -hmm. wins. Within like an hour of the story, story going live, it was on Perez Hilton, we got two people emailed us immediately, this kid's name, Harvey Kinlan. Whoa. And so we were like, all right, they were so close. We'll give him each $5,000. We found out who he was. So this story takes a weird twist at the end. So we, <laughs> we get him on a plane to fly from the UK to New York City. She's going to be on the Today Show the following day. Mm -hmm. And we had it all lined up where she would accept his rose on the Today Show. Right. Our clients are excited. Everyone's happy. As he's in midair... Michael Jackson passes away. Oh man! Yeah, so it's like one of the, so it bumps everything. Like the Today okay. Show, the whole next day, everything gets bumped. But the best headline came out of it. Someone wrote a story after the fact that said, "Even in death, Michael Jackson screws children." Oh wow! <laughs> and it was, and it was about, about Harvey getting screwed out of his Kodak <laughs> moment with Megan Fox. So. Uh, who wrote that headline? I, I, I don't remember, but it was, it was it still, it sticks with me after all these years. It's oh just incredible. Imagine yeah, that trying is a to, weird twist. Imagine trying to give your client that headline being like, <laughs> oh, well, like, can we count this as a hit? Is this a win, technically? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did, he, did the kid ever get to give the rose? So to here's here's the true story. After all these years, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it for your listeners because okay. he came over. He was in New York City with his family. She was in New York City. We were dealing with her agent and we were trying to just broker a meeting. So right. this kid's here. She said, you know, we could easily take a photo. You could release it to the paparazzi that you actually took his rose and, and had a good heart. And they were like, screw him. Screw you. We're not taking the rose. Oh, and then they tried to bury him with like a story in page six, how like Kodak was like pimping out this kid. That sucks. Yeah, it was like. Did so you call Kate Upton to come in and save the day? I, <laughs> I, I, I wish. But yeah, so she really didn't have a, a heart. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, as a case study, it's pretty fascinating. Like how it sounds like that. I feel like just that would be right. so difficult to pitch to a client. Right. Was it difficult to get Kodak to buy off? You know, I think. Back then, you know, sometimes you get clients that they're they're just hungry for something. They want to do something. I think, you know, we caught Kodak at the right time because the business was hurting and they mm -hmm. they were just like we got to we got to fire off on things. We got to get right. stuff out the door, which was which was beneficial to us. Um so I give them credit for taking that risk. And you know, and but with all these stories, even with like the Guns N' Roses, you know, at, at the end of both of those stories, things cannot go the way you planned. Right. But it's still okay because you get the conversation going and, and that's real life. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times we try to create marketing campaigns where there's no loose ends. There's nothing that can conditionally go wrong or take right. a different turn. Uh, but those, the stories with tension, the stories that take different twists and turns yeah. are the stories we love in our personal lives. Right, because they, like, they follow like a, a kind of unpredictable yeah. narrative. But if, for some reason, like in marketing, we – we tend to create stories that are very predictable. Right. And that's why I think our group and the, and the team that I run here, um, we try to create things that aren't so literal and so predictable all the time. So is it like a matter of embracing the idea that things are – when it comes to marketing, when it comes to these kind of really disruptive ideas, is it a matter of embracing the fact that things are not going to be – things aren't going to always work out perfectly and that yeah. you're not always going to have complete and total control and half of it is just watching these things unfold and, yeah. you know – 
Yeah. No, I mean, yes. I would say that um, you have to have a level of comfort with the uncertainty of, 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 of a good idea. You, right. know, you don't know. Like, I mean, that's But that's the nature of earned. I feel like good earned people, uh, we don't get the luxury of having money to get people to see our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we grow up in an environment where we have to pitch media and a lot of times stuff we do fails. We have to explain why it failed. And right. Sometimes it works, but there's no certainties in the world of earned. And the biggest mistake I think a lot of people in PR get trapped into is, well, what's the ROI going to be before we even do something? Like tell, right. predict what the results will be. Kiss I, I don't know what the question. results are going to be. Like right. nobody might write about it. You know, I didn't know Axel Rose was going to say thanks. He could have been like, screw these guys. Like, yeah. you know, so... But we just try to put our clients in positions where we've, to the best of our ability, removed r- real risk. You right. know, we're doing something that's really good enough that we feel like the risk has been mitigated enough. So. Mm-hmm. Another one that I thought was particularly fascinating was the eBay bride for Dr. Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> that was right. super controversial. Right. Can you give us a recap of that one? Yeah, I mean, these these sort of like all happen around the same time. I got to give a shout out to Nick Ragone, who was my mentor at Ketchum. He was the head of the media team there. And, you know, what we did was we we saw this auction happening on eBay. So there's this AP story about this bridesmaid who didn't have enough money to have the wedding she wanted. So she auctioned off the ability to be a bridesmaid in her wedding on eBay. Right. It's like, what? Right. It's kind of like a really creative, unique sort of Kickstarter. This was like before Kickstarter and all these other like GoFundMes existed. Mm-hmm. People use like different mediums and channels to raise money. So the media saw this and were like, oh, my God, like this this woman is she's clearly being opportunistic. But it's also like a really clever way to raise money. Story goes viral. We see it. And at first we were like, well, which client does this make sense for? <sighs> Dr. Pepper wasn't the first one we brought it to. Okay. It's all like, I guess I can say this stuff. The statute of limitations on my NDAs are way over now. (laughs) Um, We brought it to Best Buy first and Geek Squad Uh because we were like, we should film her wedding. And their whole thing was about getting couples to to use Best Buy and Geek Squad more often, be a great wedding for them to film, and we could broadcast the the wedding live using all the technology that Best Buy offers. Mm -hmm. They passed on it. So we, we, we basically were like, all right. Well, let's take it to Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, and we could just cater the wedding. I mean, we make mm-hmm. beverages. It, 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 it makes sense. So I set up an eBay account using my boss's credit card. This is why I brought Nick up. His credit <laughs> card and his phone number at work, and we win the auction. We won it for – I believe we won it for something like $6,000. Wow. And – the moment we won it, this is the part where it gets great. The moment we won it, his phone rings at his office. It's Good Morning America who's sitting in the apartment of this woman or the house of the woman recording live, talking. They wanted to talk to the person who won the auction. And so it Whoa. became this Good Morning America segment the next day. Um, and they're like, it's a Nick from New Jersey. And it's like, that was my boss. Whoa. And he explained. Did he know that that no, was about to, Did he we, know that you even bought the auction? No. Well, he knew we were doing it, but he, okay. didn't, he didn't know that uh, Good Morning America was there. Mm-hmm. We didn't know they were going to call. And so he's on the phone with them live. And they're like, you just won it for $6,000. that's insane. And I'm like, Nick, like, I'm like whispering, let's offer $10,000 right now and say we'll take care of the honeymoon as well. So nice. he, he just does that live. Like we didn't call the client and ask for permission <laughs> because we knew the client had given us a $10,000 budget. Uh-huh. So we're like, let's just give her the entire like caboodle right. and, and let her spend ten grand. 
she he tells her that she starts crying how thankful oh, she God, is that's so and it cool. was like, it was like gold so yeah. you know it's it's funny cuz we do these things and so many of these stories though that when clients want to get on national morning shows it's the stuff that's like going viral on the internet the day before totally. that puts those people on the couch the next day right. and so i feel like you know the crazy thing is we were doing this stuff in 2008 2009 mm-hmm. like, like this is before I think real-time marketing was even a right. thing. You know, nowadays, what separates our group is everything we've done was an actionable thing. Like the brand was putting action and money into the story to make mm-hmm. the story better. I think what's ruined real-time marketing now is like it just becomes a pithy tweet right. or like a piece of social content, but there's nothing behind it. It would just be like, hey, Kelly, have some drinks on us. And it's like a, you know, a Twitter post. Right. Really just blatant brand yeah. first kind of, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that was a fun one. These are, it's like a stroll down memory lane. These are all <laughs> super fun things. And, you know, we're, we're still doing the same philosophy nowadays. So yeah, what are you working on nowadays that you're uh, at liberty to talk about? Yeah, so I can't go into the full details, but I'm doing something completely amazing around the total solar eclipse uh, okay. that you will see uh, in that. a couple weeks. Uh, we just did something really awesome with Budweiser and, and their whole campaign around ambition. Basically, long story short, they are the beer of ambition. Adolphus Bush had an ambition to make Budweiser mm-hmm. the world's best beer to achieve that. Um, and as they were telling their story last Super Bowl, we saw the the whole immigration TV spot they did that got so many people talking. Uh, we we were asked as an agency to think about how can we bring Budweiser's ambition to life and the brand's ambition. And we looked at what's going on in the world and we said, well, the most ambitious thing going on in, in humanity right now is is the new space race to Mars. Mm-hmm. And the way we sold it in to the client was if Adolphus Bush were alive today, his ambition wouldn't be to serve more Budweiser on planet Earth. He'd be looking at where do we have to serve it next? Hmm. And so we committed to being the first beer on Mars. That's awesome. And so we're and we're actually doing it. I mean we're at, we're 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 doing a test to see if hops can grow in zero G. Whoa. We're gonna have a lot of really awesome stuff coming okay. to support it. So Are you getting involved with Elon Musk? Uh you know, we we tried to get involved with Musk, but Tough I, guy he, to reach. I yeah, hear. he wouldn't we I think we're working with Casis um is the organization that we're working with that does okay. tests in space at, at the International Space Station. But yeah, it's like I love campaigns like that too because when the clients obviously were a little bit nervous, like, well, we actually have to do it. I'm like, well, the good news is we've got like 30 years to figure it out. Like, right. it's not one of these things that we have like three months to Just figure make out. Make the announcement now and yeah. then figure it out after the fact. Right. Yeah, but we're I mean, gonna make it happen. We're gonna make it happen. <laughs> that's really really cool. Yeah, I mean, a cool thing about a lot of the work that we just talked about is they all sound like they're relatively inexpensive to do and pull off. You just right. need to you need a brand who who has the kind of who's ballsy enough, for lack of a better term, to be able to jump at these opportunities, not overthink it, not get so caught up in legal, and is it on brand, and what's the ROI, and all of this, and just be able to be reactive in the the right way, in a way that's on brand, and then just allow things to unfold and not be so oriented with controlling the message, controlling the media story, Mm because it sounds like that's when the real magic happens. Like, a lot of the the ways that these, these, your case histories turned out was totally unpredictable. Right. Yeah, and it feels like that's becoming a dying art in marketing. Right. Yeah, and I think what's what's made it harder is social media. Hmm. Brands didn't have to hear from all these different channels whenever they launch an activation. I think what makes brands skittish now is they give way too much importance to every single thing that's said about their brand. So for mm-hmm. example, if Dr. Pepper had done the Guns N' Roses thing, I think that is even before like 
Twitter had a real audience or social media was really like a huge thing, Th- they would get people on Twitter being like, I- I Guns Roses is stupid. I hate them. Like, Dr. Right. Pepper, you suck. Like, and they would like, they listen to too much of like just the noise that's going on on social. So I think a lot of brands are just afraid to do something that might be targeting just a fan base of one band or yeah. one passion point. They try to do like a one size fits all with all their marketing and they're afraid of like the backlash. And you're yeah. just going to get it. Like hate is going to hate, like people are going to hate on marketing. But our philosophy is that people just hate marketing in general. Right. If we can excite some people in that sea of people that just hate it all, right. then we're succeeding on Particularly some Particularly on the internet. I feel like on the internet, people hate everything. Yeah. Like you can't do anything without just tons of tons of backlash and haters and right. trolls and like it's just causing the whole social stratosphere to just be a cesspool, so right. to speak, right. with just so much anger and so much just like ridiculousness. And yeah, I mean, I think you brought up a, you brought up a good point was that brands are probably paying too much attention to that now, like the negative yeah. angry tweets. Well, think is- about how many social media agencies have popped up that oh, have yeah, sold lot. brands on the approach of giving each individual person, like you have to build a one-to-one relationship with each individual person on yeah. social media. And we're going to post every, you know, we're going to respond to people within, you know, every few minutes, we're going to get back to every single, it's like, come on, Dr. Pepper sells like millions of soda, soda cans a year. We work for, for Bud Light. Uh, you know, these brands, they sell tens of thousands of bottles of, of beer every minute. Right. You're going to, you're going to have, you're going to go on one-to-one relationship. No, it's like make the product great. <laughs> And make your marketing, uh, you know, do big, bold things that travel instead of trying to go to each person one-to-one. Yeah. No, it makes complete and total sense. And that's like our media approach. It's like, do you want to be a media relations person that has to, like, go down a media list and one-to-one pitch people? Or do you mm-hmm. want to seed it with one media outlet and then everyone else picks up that story? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think – what is it called? Like working up the chain or something? Ryan Holiday had a term for that where you, you focus on one outlet and then from right. there, all the other outlets see that yeah. one outlet story. You can even pitch it as an exclusive. But it's like a matter of hitting what – is, what is that kind of lead domino media outlet where right. if you – place the story there right. everybody else will be just kind of scurrying i'm sure with uh with rose boy you probably didn't pitch it to right. perez hilton right like it just she just I th- picked it up yeah, immediately. I, think we, I think he might have been the, he, we gave him the exclusive oh okay right? but you know what a good example and we were we, we were talking about before we hit record was was my arcade story right um, for those of you out there if you just google man builds arcade loses fiance great story definitely recommend it yeah i i, I was engaged I, I i turned my manhattan apartment into an 80s arcade uh, and my fiance broke up with me because it showed her that we were going in different directions. But, I feel like you're downplaying the level of detail, right. how cool this uh, this arcade yeah, it, was. It was, it's, it, yeah, it's awesome. But that's a good example of earned media at its core. There was one story that made it go viral, and it was the New York Daily News story. There was a big mm. feature in Wired, but then the Daily News story had the headline, like, man builds arcade, loses fiance. It got syndicated. It got picked up. And within 48 hours, there's probably like 500 to 1,000 stories all off of that one story. It goes from Daily News to BuzzFeed. Then once it's there, it's 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 just right. – it's moving. I didn't pitch it to anybody other than Wired and the Daily News. I, I mean I pitched my own story. That's, right. I'm, I'm a shameless self-promoter. <laughs> uh, but it was like the one story I could do without having to ask any permission or any uh, lawyers for uh, advice on, on how to – like get it out the door so right did anything interesting come of that for you after you started to get that media attention you know the funniest was steve harvey show called me 
the producer, and Whoa. he said, Steve Harvey's been married five times. He knows what it's like <laughs> to have problems with women. And Steve Harvey would like to reconcile you and your ex-fiance on Whoa. his show. Yeah. I have a feeling you said yes and she didn't. I would, yeah, exactly. I was like – because I, I called her up. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, let's just go on for shits and giggles and be on the Steve Harvey show. But um, she was like, I don't want to talk to you ever again. Oh, man. <laughs> It's a it's a heartbreaker, and you just had to you had to you re, you tell me that you're 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 moving out of your apartment or you're so I'm still there. Okay. I I'm I'm with a great new woman now. She's incredible. We've been dating for three years, and we're renovating. So uh, okay, the arcade is no longer, but it will be a pinball paradise. I'm now into pinball more than arcade games. So. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and you have a pinball podcast. I have a pinball I listened podcast. to the first episode. I had <laughs> no idea that there was that much of a world with with pinball. It's so for, like for the uninitiated. Can you just kind of explain kind of the, the, the overall the pinball culture right now and, right. and kind of how you got into it? Yeah. So pinball's had a bit of a resurgence over the last five years. Um, I think what's happened and is is everyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, the mm-hmm. children of that era, the things we did for entertainment, we went out for entertainment. Like we didn't sit on the couch right. for entertainment. We went out. And I think – Guys now, like myself, like in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, I'm just – I'm grouping myself in a 30-year range there, but I'm, I'm 40. <laughs> we we still long to be able to go out and enjoy the things we did when we were younger. Right. And and that's why we're seeing a resurgence of the barcade movement where, you know, barcades are super successful now because I think people realize when they go to a bar, mm-hmm. when they're not drinking, they're pretty freaking boring. Right. Um, so now we're combining some of the toys we – we had growing up like arcade games and pinball machines with drinking and, and bars and socializing. Um, so pinballs come back and there's also just a huge collector community in the world because a lot of guys who had successful careers now can go buy things that brought them happiness in their youth. Right. So that majority of the pinball market is collectors. So mm-hmm. rich dudes basically, because these machines now are costing like anywhere from five to $10,000 each. Imagine paying ten thousand for each of your Xbox games. Yeah, that'd be a little difficult to afford after yeah. a while. So these guys will do it, and they'll collect. And there's there's actually right now there's twenty new pinball machines you can go buy inside a box and have delivered to your door, which seems like a crazy like a pack amount. of twenty of them. You can you can buy all twenty, but eat, there's twenty available games. Oh, okay. Everything from Star Wars to Ghostbusters to Batman. These are all games that are coming off the assembly line now. Um, the reason why I love pinball more than arcade games is it's a random game that you can't digitize. Hmm. It's, it's, it's still a steel ball that's right. moving around a physical play field. And even though they have virtual pinball machines, they're just not the not same. The same. They, don't feel, they don't feel right. Um, so, yeah, I have, a, I have a pinball podcast where once a, once a week I do um, a podcast about the hobby and the collector part of it. And I get about a thousand geeks out there who listen to nice. every episode and – it's just something fun I do, and and I've, I've developed a lot of really unique friendships because of it. So mm-hmm. it's just you know podcasting is it's fun, right? Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I'm starting to get into it right now. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. I, I can't remember the last time I played pinball. I'm ashamed to say, but listening to the podcast, I was like, yeah, I used to love playing pinball as a right. kid. Yeah, definitely like got yeah. me in. Where should if I wanted? Where's like where should I go in New right. York? Right. So New York City, one place is the best. It's a Sunshine Laundromat. It's okay. a laundromat where the guy converted the back area uh-huh. into a, a pinball bar oh nice it's in brooklyn but you can do your laundry there you can do you can your laundry still and yeah you can play pinball oh yeah i was there a, a couple cool. months ago and there was a fire because someone put 
a comforter into the dryer and the whole the whole wow. front of the place was on fire while we we're playing pinball in the back. <laughs> um, so yeah, that sunshine laundromat's the best. And okay. then uh, there's the other place I would go is Pioneers Bar if you're in Manhattan, which is mm-hmm. on uh, 28th Street between 6th and 7th. Nice. All right. I'm definitely going to check out at least one of those places. This is an interesting question. George Lois, famous advertiser. He Are you familiar with him, by the way? No. Pretty, pretty cool, okay. interesting guy. <laughs> um, kind of like a Ogilvy character in a way. But uh, yeah, there's a whole documentary about him. I definitely that's definitely worth checking out. But okay. he he's a he was a big advertiser back in like the '60s '70s. Uh, huge creative mind. He said that one of the keys to his creative success was every Sunday, like clockwork, like church. He would spend the entire day at the Metropolitan Museum of Art right. as a means to just kind of like creatively inspire himself and replenish his just kind of internal supply of inspiration. Right. Do you have any kind of comparable rituals? Rich like ones. that or anything that just that, that enables you to just kind of go back to the well, so to speak, right. for the sake of replenishing your own inspiration. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I always try to do at least every other week is just walk through Times Square hmm. just because we're in New York City. And it, it grounds me in who the real target is. That's interesting. Because I, I – the thing that – Always, and also like you're also like in this mecca of marketing. Like yeah. there is so much marketing going on. So you can walk five blocks through Times Square and see, you know, a hundred different brands and, mm-hmm. and where they're spending their money and how they're positioning their brands and what they're saying. Uh, but then also just look down and say like, well, what are the people on the ground actually like paying attention to? Right. What are they interacting with? Because you have stuff now where people are interacting with the Forever Twenty One because it's just a it's just showing them them. It's like right. a big mirror screen that shows them them <laughs> looking at them. But also just I, I tell my team all the time if you can walk through Times Square and, and tell someone there what the idea is and they actually get it, mm-hmm. then it's a good idea. Most of um, Bad marketing ideas are so complex and they're just so overtly branded that people's eyes would glaze over if you right. went to Times Square and tried to sell it to them. You know, and, and that's that's the hardest thing about New York marketing is mm-hmm. it, it we are in a bubble where totally, we think people totally. think this way, people act this way, and it they don't. And I think even like the election like showed everybody, like oh, you totally. guys don't have any idea, no idea like what's going on. And you know, I, I live in New York. I've lived in the city my whole life, but my parents raised me watching WWF wrestling. So nice. I feel like I've, that's like the other side of my brain is like, what would Hulk Hogan have done if he wanted people <laughs> to like pay attention to this right now? So WWHD. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like an awesome bracelet. Yeah. That's a really cool idea, though, because, I mean, yeah, we're totally in a microcosm in New York. It's easy to lose track of what the rest of the United States kind of are like and are right. culturally inclined to do. Right. And New uh, Times Square is just an epicenter of just tons of in-your-face marketing and it's also like a, a pretty decent sample size that represents the rest of the united states because yeah. it's all tourists well no there. yeah nobody there yeah. is a new yorker so right exactly like, it's like the perfect spot to go look at like what are people wearing like how are, yeah. what are people like talking about and so yeah i mean we're marketers i mean if you're not amongst the people that's the right. thing too it's like public relations the public yeah, is I mean, not your client. Public. It's the public. And right. people forget that so easily. It's a really cool idea. I'm totally going to steal that. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple last questions just yep. to wrap things up with. What is – can you think of any examples of recent marketing that has moved you? I guess the one I was just sort of like, all right, this is awesome, was the um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, their new Zinger sandwich that they're sending into outer space. So – I don't know if you've seen it, but it, like they did a whole campaign. I think Rob Lowe was one in one of the commercials. But they're like, this sandwich is so good. We're going to send it into outer space. 
what I loved about it is like they supported it 360. So there were TV commercials, but then there was actually like quirky little things as well. I saw this week they just sold they made a what looked like the sandwich out of an actual meteorite. So they Whoa. carved a meteorite to look like the Zinger sandwich and they sold it for twenty thousand dollars. That's insane. And somebody bought it. Yeah. So it and paid for itself the whole thing. Yeah. And it's just like it's just like <laughs> I just love that like they're actually gonna try and send the sandwich in this space. So there's that part of it. So it's a real endeavor. Which is just awesome. Yeah. It's just start there. If you're like a yeah if you're like a young millennial who eats KFC all the time, like all right, at least that you, that would stick with you, mm-hmm. um, but then they're also they also did other things that are tangible and real for consumers, um, like the meteorite version of the sandwich. And I think that's always like the biggest challenge for me is getting 360 support. Right. So I think and 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 brands like KFC, Taco Bell, you know, they do stuff all the time that I think is is awesome because it's just disruptive. Like it's right. it's engineered to to get people talking. It's, it's not easy for every brand to do that because mm-hmm. those brands are a little bit more fun and a little bit more whimsical than most brands. But, you know, there's another – I can't say the other one, though, because I, like, work for, like, a oh, competitor. Okay. That's the problem is, like, when you work for, like <laughs> – I see other brands that I'm competing with do right. things that just, like, blow me away. But off can't the record, I'll them. tell you. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, as soon as we turn this off. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I'm never turning it off, Chris. Like, <laughs> Bugging our phone calls and all of that. Any books, leaders, or thinkers that have uh, significantly inf- influenced your approach to work? Oh, man. This might sound cliche, but it's – I don't, I don't read about marketing. I don't, like, subscribe to PR Week. Mm-hmm. I don't care about marketing awards. And I, uh, I, I was shunned by 40 under 40. I never won. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 80 under 80. Nice. And the tagline is there's still time. Like, <laughs> I just don't I, – I just never – because the way I look at it is, like, to get better at marketing, you have to live in the real world, like not just stare at like marketing. And also you end up just repeating what's been done because right. then your then your inspiration or your stimulus is like other people's work. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, I mean, this is just this sounds cliche, but my mom is the reason why like I'm good at this because my mom's this crazy Sicilian woman who mm-hmm. literally like just knows how to dominate and get people's attention. And, and even if she's like, <laughs> inaccurate or factually incorrect like she's just she's just like got this powerful personality and i think in today's add world like you just have to either like you have to rise above everything or do something that's going to grab the attention Mm -hmm. because without attention like nothing else matters right and so you know italian people are good at getting attention so she like taught me like (laughs) and she's an artist the the art of 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 like just doing something that at least like gets their attention first because yeah. without that they're not going to listen to what you have to say right. so you need to be a compelling person or just be compelling yeah. so to speak. and i'm not going to lie and say i read like you know these blogs or these these marketers right. i mean i again like i spend i spend my free time where i want to spend it which is in things i'm passionate about right i'm definitely passionate about my work i don't I just every time i read like marketers philosophizing about marketing it's like shoot me shoot me because I, right. I just don't want to hear it like it's yeah we live it every day it's right. like by the time i'm done i'm done right yeah and it causes just rehashing of old ideas too yeah. so to your point not to like knock because there's so many people out there talking about it it's like mm-hmm. most people like really haven't done anything who talked the loudest about doing marketing. Oh, totally marketing philosophy They're too busy actually like doing the work yeah well you can have a career now <laughs> As a professional, like, speaking head. Like, you mm-hmm. you literally, like, 
I mean, let's look at the world of influencers, like social media influence. You can have a, you can make a living now right. doing nothing but sharing a photo of a, of yourself at places. Yeah, it's kind I mean, of. It's nuts. the Kardash- Kardashian Kanye world we live in. I mean, you don't really have to do anything. At least Kanye yeah. had like hit albums. Like, yeah, I mean, but it's hard though because they're, they have eyeballs. Right. Like these, you know, like Pootie Pie and these guys who have like millions of followers. Mm-hmm. They have more people tuning in than like NBC. Yeah. You know, nuts. so it's like. All right, well, on some level, like, this is the new sort of content that people want. So some people deserve it, but for the most part, I think there's just, you know, again, that stuff's all entertaining. There's nobody who has a marketing sort of channel that's going to get that many people watching. Yeah, it's true. I can't think of it. Other than Gary Vee. I was going to say, who you worked for. for (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's one guy. To me, he seems like he's able to do it both, right? right. He has his speaking engagements. Right. He's very outspoken. Right. Has the books, but also has like a really yeah. successful agency that's but, like but, doing. But just Gary's real stuff. got the story that is real, like his history. Like he see he he walks into a room, and and I did work for Gary, and I've never seen someone be as sort of dynamic as him. And like mm-hmm. be, he could walk into a room with a bunch of marketers and be like, "I built a company." I built Wine Library. I built it into this millions of dollar business. What did you do? And he'll right. point around the room and you could you can have a bunch of marketers with like their hands in their pockets be like, well, I got 2 billion impressions on my last campaign. It's like, but what did you really do? You know? Right. And so, right. you know, I think he's he's leveraged the fact that he's been doing it since he was a kid. Like mm-hmm. since he was like selling baseball cards for a profit, he's been building that persona and it's really who he is. I mean, mm-hmm. people might get tired of hearing it all the time, but it's it's authentic to who Gary is. And yeah. I think a lot of marketers, it's like they're not the they're not the story. Like the story is the agency they work for, the brand they work for. But mm-hmm. he 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 makes himself the story. And, right. And you know, it's entertaining. I mean, look, it's it's entertaining. I, yeah. I I always loved being in meetings with Gary. There was never a dull moment. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right. He has a work history of actually that entrepreneurial history of actually making a little ton of money selling things like right. a re- like real tangible results right. right whereas it's like a lot of marketers just kind of rely on theory or right their kind of you know yeah. history of theory where this is a guy who actually does know right. how to sell things he's got the work history yeah. to the challenge to prove it. the challenge is like you know when the bigger you get and Vayner's is huge now mm-hmm. and, you know the how far from gary does the rest of the company fall because there's yeah. so many people and i was I think, always curious about that yeah i mean it's 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 hard because, you know, Gary built his empire on he when he would review like a glass of wine. It's like this honest, like intimate, like direct connection to him. Mm-hmm. Could he sell sort of Tide, Tide detergent that way to someone? <laughs> like it's just, you know, and Tide, it'd be weird if Tide had someone talking on their behalf the way Gary would talk about wine. Yeah, it doesn't apply because to it's, like it's, everything. It's, yeah, it's his personal opinion. Right. But – Look, I mean, I, I I love seeing him succeed. I love seeing the company grow so fast. I mean, it, it's I was there. It was 150 people. Now it's like 600 and something. Yeah, they're expanding. It's amazing. Yeah, they're going to be an ad agency. You know, when I was there, it's like, well, we're never going to be an ad agency. Ad agency. We're never going to do campaigns. I, he hated the word campaign. And it's like now it's like <laughs> it's complete campaigns, big things, you know. Right. I mean, I think, you know, VaynerMedia one day will be making Super Bowl TV commercials, you know. And it's like. Yeah. Well, once he owns the Jets. Yeah. That's his goal. I know. Well, maybe you can turn the team around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last, possibly most important question, Beatles or Stones and why? Oh, man. You know I want to say Guns N' Roses, but between those two, I would pick I would pick the Stones. Yeah? I just, like, personally, 
I kind of think the Beatles are a little overrated. That's just my own personal yeah, opinion. Yeah, I always say Stones. I always go Stones. Yeah. It's who I'd rather listen to. Like, yeah. no kind of conception of who's historically more significant. Right. Stones I can listen to all day, any day, right. every day. And I love, I mean, I love cars and I love muscle cars. I can't drive in a muscle car to the Beatles. Like, you can't be right. like, like revving your engine. And, I want to hold your hand. You know, yeah, it's like, no. doesn't work. But like, start me up. Like, the Stones, yeah, it's the Stones, perfect for like a Dodge perfect, Challenger. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, so I picked the stones. Cool. Yeah, Chris, real pleasure. Where for people who want to kind of follow your exploits, what's the best place to follow you at? So Twitter, Instagram, yeah, face, Facebook, and then Canada Pinball Podcast. If you want to listen cool. to the podcast world, just let me know. Um, and you know, I, I my email is canadapinball at gmail as well. So if awesome. you want to personally connect, cool. hit me up. All right, it's a lot Nick. of fun. Thanks, yeah. brother. Appreciate awesome. it. Thank you.